I'm William Jess Laird. This is Image Culture. Today I'm talking with photographer Victoria Salmanaris. Each year, Victoria structures her life around a photographic journey crossing the American landscape. Using a large format 5x7 camera, she searches for the intersection between the natural and the man-made. In her own words, she has an unrelenting curiosity to understand the American landscape and our place within it. Her work has brought her to the furthest corners of Alaska and across the entire length of the U.S.-Mexico border. A recent project has focused on the intersection of geology, industry, and culture encompassing the petrochemical and shipping industries around the Gulf Coast. Salmanaris' monograph, Taxonomy of a Landscape, was published by Radius Books in 2014 and was one of Time Magazine's best photo books of the year. She earned her MFA from Yale in 1999 and is represented by Yancey Richardson Gallery in New York. Before our talk, Victoria and I made a portrait in the darkroom she uses to produce her work at My Own Color Lab. You can see the photograph on Instagram at William Jess Laird. Here I am with Victoria Salmanaris. I have not seen it because I'm terrified to see it because I, I feel like I will never camp again or yeah. I'll always be looking over my shoulder if there's a bear, you know, because it's, well, it's always like, I'm never feeling threatened by, I mean, usually I, I feel pretty safe on the road, mm-hmm. except, um, there are those times that I remember where I'm like in Wyoming and some really remote area and nobody's camping near me and I can hear something outside of the tent. And this is when I used to pitch a tent. I mean, I used to just pitch a tent everywhere and camp. So now I camp on top of the car, like my tents on top of my car. I think I saw a photograph of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like (laughs) much more safe, I think, but but back then. It's very conspicuous. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I remember, I'll never forget that moment where I was in, you know, this time in Wyoming and I'm hearing an, like an animal, something outside of my tent. And I don't know if it's a mouse or a mountain lion or, you know, so, so grizzly man for me, I am like, I'll always think it's a bear. (laughs) And, um, I thought we'd maybe start just, uh, where did you, where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, Amish town, Amish country. And I I like joking with people and telling them that I'm Greek Amish because I'm always wearing black and (laughs) and I've actually, are your parents Greek? They're Greek. Yeah. From Greece. So I'm first, first First generation. generation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was that like growing up? Well, you know, I grew up in this community of a lot of, a lot of Greek immigrants lived on our street. It was called new street. And There was a little bit of, um, grease there because you would, people would come and visit all the time Mm -hmm. or come by for pastries or in a coffee, um, the men playing cards on the corner. I've never actually been to, Sarah grew up pretty close to Lancaster. I've never, cause she's from, uh, Devon, Pennsylvania, which I think is about 40 minutes away. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so she, uh, She's told me about Lancaster because she used to go like on trips, like with right. her family. And, yeah. Uh, but I, I've never been. I don't really have a strong like conception. I mean, is it is it like what's the relationship between the Greek community and the Amish community? Well, I, I always Amish? ask my parents, like, what? How the hell did you did we end up <laughs> here? Like Lancaster? of all yeah. places yeah. that you know, and it was like somebody's uncle arrived, and then like everybody followed. So yeah. that's how it happened. But. The the interesting part, and I think that comes into my work, what, what comes into my work is 
there was this bucolic landscape on the outskirts of Lancaster, the Amish Mm -hmm. um, tilling the land. And, um, And then you had factories, a lot of factories back then, which is what you know, a lot of immigrants come and worked in RCA, Armstrong, like all these companies were yeah. there. And so there was work. And my mother even talks about that. Like if you weren't happy at one place, you would move on to the next. And there were lots of jobs. And um, so there was this industrial type of landscape set mm. against this agricultural backdrop. Yeah. And that made for an interesting um, visual yeah. And that's, and it's crazy that you grew up there. Cause that is, I mean, that's super, I mean, it's in your work all the time. It's that, completely yeah. 100% in the work. Mm-hmm. And we spent weekends on the weekends. We had this pink Rambler station wagon and <laughs> now I'm really dating myself, but we would get in the car and drive around the Amish country. So drive through that landscape. Yeah. And I was the youngest kid, so I was like in the very back of the station wagon, just kind of looking out. Wow. And it's it's almost mean, what I do now. You mean like in the in the back where where you're you're like looking out the back back windshield? Yeah, like that. yes, <laughs> yeah, like the side windows in the yeah. back. And um, my family had a station wagon growing up too, and yeah. I love that seat, <laughs> so, <laughs> the special seat. Looking out, and I feel that I. I've continued doing that, that I'm, I'm in the driver's seat, yeah. but, um, just continue to look at the land, which reflects who we are. Mm-hmm. When did you, um, when did you first pick up a camera? I picked up a camera. Um, oh gosh. Well, I bought my first camera when I was 14, which mm-hmm. I had saved the money for, but do you still have it? It actually got stolen when I was teaching at Yale. I was no. using it as a, um, you know, a demonstration Mm -hmm. camera. And then one night a homeless person broke into the school and they had to break through several doors, like get into the basement and break Mm -hmm. through all these doors, break through cabinets. And that was the one camp, like that camera got stolen when there's like hundreds of other cameras that could have gotten stolen. But yeah, so it's gone. It was like a Nikon FM. Oh, nice. Millimeter. So you got that when you were 14. Yeah, I got it when I was 14. But I was looking at Life magazine. Mm-hmm. It was a big influence. And I always thought that photojournalism was where I wanted to go mm-hmm. as a photographer. And But when you're 14, you're too young really, to yeah. make those kind of yeah, absolutely. decisions. But that, that was what I knew in terms of photography. Well, it's funny because I feel like when we're, when we're young... Uh, like what you think of photography, if you look back, you're so naive and you, you know, and it's, it's kind of a really important experience though. Cause I think that when you're young, you relate to photography in a really primary way. Yes. You know what I mean? You just yes. are affected by pictures Yes, and you're not as versed in like the way that they're coded or the way that, uh, like the, the discourses that surround them, you know, right. so you kind of have this pure experience. Yes. It, it's it's really, um, I was taking photography classes mm-hmm. in black and white photography and, and not, no real direction. The world is open to you. Yeah. So you can do whatever you want, portraiture, whatever you're exploring. Mm-hmm. And I never even felt like by the time, because I took photography classes in high school and junior high and then went into college. And I feel that I didn't really have a strong vision. It was just a tool to experience the world. I was pretty shy. 
So it was a way of looking at the world through this piece of glass and yeah. not really relating to the world. Like when you're young and I mean, a little bit older than 14, maybe, I mean, who are the people you started looking at? Like, when did you kind of take that next step? And I, I think Stieglitz was probably yeah. the first photographer that I knew about. Mm-hmm. And I did, had no, I don't know how I even stumbled upon Stieglitz mm-hmm. because I wasn't getting that kind of education. Was it still in high school or? Yeah, I think yeah. this was in high school. That's a pretty, that's a pretty for real guy to, to get on but, in high school. But we weren't having, like, it wasn't like we were getting an art historical mm-hmm. or art history education at all. Yeah. I don't remember art history when I was in, in high school. Yeah, I didn't have it either. Yeah. So I don't know how I found, maybe, maybe I saw something in life or one of the magazines mm-hmm. or um, really photojournalism. So I, I cannot remember how it happened. And then I went to college in Washington, DC. I went to a small women's college. Mm-hmm. I took, photo- I continued to take photography classes, but even then I don't remember having that education that I should have had. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess a lot of that happened at, at Yale. It happened when I, I, I took classes at ICP oh, yeah. when I moved to New York. So one of the first classes I had taken was with Nan Golden. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. What was her class? It was a di- like a diary, like the diary or um, the visual diary. I think <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Class with Nan yeah. Golden. That's and, and, and it was, it was um, because the interest in photography just continued through the years. Right. My degree was in business from college, oh, wow. but it, it, it just didn't work out obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't have a business mind or so I left DC, came to New York and was starting over again and trying to figure it out, but always coming back to photography. Mm -hmm. That's when I started taking the classes at ICP, just like evening classes because I was working during the day. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first classes I took with her. With That's wild. Woman. Yeah. Was she a good teacher? Oh, she was great. She was a great teacher. And the first thing she told us, is like, I don't want to see one photograph of a homeless person. Oh, like yeah. if you're, well, yeah. Yeah. if you are, if you go by Tompkins Square Park and you see the homeless people, I don't mm-hmm. want to see, unless you are living with them, unless you are, camped out with them and living with them. And I want to see pictures like this. So, um, she was tough, but a really good critic. And the great thing about the class was every week we would go out and shoot slide film. And then we would come back to class, fill the, um, slide holders Mm -hmm. with our work. And then we would do slideshows and talk about everybody's work as a a group. Yeah. 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 It was good. Yeah. I started working for two artists, mm-hmm. um, David Deutsch and William Wegman. Mm-hmm. I learned everything from them. I wor- learned my work ethic from them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, they're both very old school. They're in the studio constantly working. Their life is all about their work, their art, everything that they do feeds into their work mm-hmm. and vice versa. So that's when I decided I worked for them for a few years and then decided that I needed to go back to school and really get the education that I had missed all these years in terms of photography and art. And I started applying to several schools and Yale wasn't actually one of them. Um, What happened was I was 
filling out my applications. And I asked a friend of mine, Maria Jersky, who's a writer, I said, will you review my application, my essays? Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, come over and we'll look at everything. And we, she read the essay and then she said, are you going to, you have to apply to Yale. And I said, oh no, yeah, I'm not going to, like, I'll never get in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I missed the deadline. Like there were a hundred excuses. Yeah. And she said, call them up and see if you can submit it, late. submit, submit it. And I, so I, she was hovering over me, uh, like listening to the conversation. And I, I called up Yale and they said, oh, if you drive it up with your <laughs> slides and back then it was slides and, um, you have until the end of the month. So she said, okay, you need to go home and rewrite this essay. And she said, this sucks. So, oh, no. so I, I was like up, up all night writing and she helped me through it. And, um, what was the, uh, what was the work like? I mean, what was the work like that you're making that you applied with? I, I was all over the place. I was shooting everything from black and white pinhole cameras of, um, corporate landscapes in Pennsylvania wow, yeah. to, um, black and white, medium format Rolex photographs a la Robert Adams mm -hmm. types photo. I mean, I was like making photographs like everybody else. And but you're still, but you were interested in that in landscape and yes. And, uh, yes. So they, they, they weren't, they, it was still, it wasn't like people or anything. I mean, it wasn't, no, it was always, it was always landscape. And it, I, I was concentrated on, on the way the landscape was changing because what was happening is every time I went back to Lancaster. So I was driving back and forth between Maine to New York to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was driving up and down the East coast mm -hmm. constantly and seeing changes happening along the landscape. Right. So Lancaster in particular was changing where every time I went back, it seemed that there was less Amish landscape and more development mm -hmm. Um, strip malls and office parks. Um, office parks, and I thought, what what is happening to this landscape? Mm -hmm. And it's changing, and so I was focused on that. And then I was also looking because I spent time in Maine because David and Bill both had places up in Maine, so I would spend my summers there. And I was exploring these very industrial towns in Maine, like right. these paper mill towns, and drawn to that. So I was going back and forth between these two types, like this new landscape that was happening, mm -hmm. new development on the landscape, but also looking at this more kind of nostalgic um, landscape. And then what happened when you got to, when you got to Yale, did, there, did your work change quickly? So did, the first thing, when did color come in? I yeah. Guess that, so occurs to me. for the first thing they told me is choose your camera mm -hmm. because I was shooting with so many different cameras. So number one, you need to be shooting large format because mm -hmm. of your subject matter and what you're doing. So then that was number one. And then number two is like color or black and white. You can't do both because I was also doing both. I was right. doing color, black and white. I was everywhere. So they, Yale forced me to hone in on my tool, mm -hmm. my tools. And yeah, that, that's where we had to start. We had a lot, a lot of work to do at Yale. <laughs> so it was, it was the five by seven camera and four by, I was shooting four by five mm -hmm. back then. 
I was, I had checked out whatever camera they had. Yeah. And when did, uh, what, so you were at Yale in 1999 and then when did, did you do your first road trip? I, I guess I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find where that first, uh, you know, when I think of as one of your images, you know, cause they're so recognizable. I'm trying to think where did that first one come, you know, come from or happen? You know, do well, you remember that? that yes. Picture? I, well, I remember distinctly, um, I had graduated and this someone, um, a painter that mm-hmm. was at, at Yale, his name was Steve Walls. He asked me, he said, Vicki, do you want to drive across the country? And I had never driven West. I had only knew the East coast. Yeah. A couple weeks after we graduated, Steve picked me up and we started I loaded up all my equipment in his truck and we started driving West and we took the Southern route through, um, the South through mm-hmm. Texas. How long uh, was the trip? It was a few weeks. It was a few weeks. That's pretty quick. I mean, that's... Yeah, it wasn't like months and it was, uh, we were going to LA. Mm -hmm. I remember having all this equipment and this big idea that I was going to photograph across the country and I didn't take one picture on that trip because I was so overwhelmed by the country and what I was seeing. I just didn't know where to put the frame. I, I couldn't photograph. And I also was a little inhibited that I had someone, there was someone in the car and he was driving and I was, I wasn't in control. Yeah. And, and if you, and if you need to stop and make a picture, you get self-conscious about how much time it takes to do so. Yes. Especially large format because there's all this time of Mm -hmm. waiting and looking and the light needing to be perfect. And so you might wait a week for that light. And so that was a big scouting trip, that, that trip. And it just put so many ideas in my head. And I realized that how vast the country is and that this was going to take a lot of time to tackle this big subject matter Mm -hmm. I had in mind. The next memory that I have is I was with a friend in Mexico and we flew from Mexico back to the United States with a stop in Laredo, Mm -hmm. Texas. And I remember when we landed just seeing this incredible landscape of industry mm-hmm. in Laredo, just stacks of containers and industrial distribution centers. And, and that's where I was at the time in my work. So I thought this is where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And so the very first trip was in 2000 and I drove down to Laredo wow. and started working do you, have a, do you have a picture from that, from that trip? Oh, this we, have, is, we have the book, Taxonomy of the uh, Landscape, yeah, here. Yeah, let me just see. Um, here it is. The very first picture in the book is Laredo. And it's a white distribution building. Windowless building. Windowless building. And that was something, when I was in school, I was reading Frederick Jameson and mm-hmm. thinking about what are those windowless buildings filled with and thinking about consumerism mm-hmm. and all of the stuff we acquire. And well, it's also that picture is kind of the other thing I've always thought about that picture is how one half of that building is completely dead. And then the other half has this kind of like, I wouldn't call it a lot li- like lively, but it's, but it's, it's, it's green, you know? So yes. it's kind of, 
it really is this cut and it's so similar to the to the sky it almost disappears that building yes yes um, like the white building the white sky and then this little bit of color this thrashing bush um and nothingness were you interested in minimalism very yeah it was all about minimalism and uh, i'm obviously i was making german pictures back yeah. then i was trying to make these gursky-esque so that's photographs. who you're looking at a lot the i was looking i was looking at them and i was looking at new topographics right those were my really first big influences on the work mm-hmm. robert adams um lewis Baltz, in particular so in so this is in 2000. I mean, are you are you by yourself at this point? Yes. You know, photographically, it obviously I feel like there are a lot of pictures that are are those those really early ones because the shipping containers on the or they're not shipping containers the the uh, cargo trucks on the cover is that from that first trip as well? That's from the first trip. So I went down to Laredo and spent some a little bit of time there, and then I went up to Dallas Fort Worth, and when I was at Yale, I had. Uh, done some research about this um, distribution center owned by Ross Perot Jr. outside of like around the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And it was called Alliance. Mm -hmm. And I had been nominated for a traveling grant. And that was what I had proposed to go down and make work about this place. And I didn't get the grant. It was ten. It was ten thousand dollars, which is like winning the lottery when you're coming out of grad school and you have all these loans. and And I was so disappointed because I felt that I you deserved it. I deserved it, but I was the one <laughs> Clearly, the, yeah. the one student that was actually traveling to make work, right. and so I didn't get it. And I remember Gregory Crudson saying to me, "Do it anyway. Just." do it. So I did. I just went down and did it. One other thing he had said is, is, um, get used to rejection. I mean, he told all of us that, and that those two pieces of advice were, were, uh, so practical and, um, just something that sticks in my mind, just do it Mm -hmm. and get used to rejection in the (laughs) art world. I guess, like, apart from, you know, photographically, because it was clearly a, a fruitful trip photographically and has started this, you know, this, I guess this, this kind of annual uh, trip for you. I mean, it's, it's been obviously a huge part of your life. Yes. What was it like doing that first one? I mean, what did you learn? What was what were uh, the emotions, you know, I mean, just from traveling? You know? It's huge. There was no safety net. You know, when I was working and I was in school, I was working at... I was working close to home. Mm-hmm. So I always had a place to come back to yeah. and I could go to a place and keep looking at it, return to it, like go out and scout and then go back to my apartment and then go back out again. And right. I was completely vulnerable here and I didn't know what to expect. Um, I wasn't used to, I was used to working alone, but not for long lengths of time. So here I was just thrown out there in the world in my car. And at that point I hadn't been camp like I wasn't camping. I was, yeah, I was ask trying you to stay in motels. Or? I was staying in like the cheap like the the worst motels because they were the the cheap is the cheapest motels. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. and just uh being in your head for that 
long Mm -hmm. when you're vulnerable and insecure. And I I feel like I was very naive and not even really sure what I was looking for, I guess, which is something that I still feel when Mm -hmm. I'm out working and I'm never really sure what I'm looking for. And, and I might have a concept of it, but Mm -hmm. the concept always is different from the reality. So you might go out with this big idea, but trying to find that is, is a big, is a challenge or something else happens Mm -hmm. or something else takes perks your interest. And I I was going to, I was going to think like there must be this, this sort of balance between, um, between planning out exactly where you are and researching, you know, a, a place or, you know, and then, and then also just kind of getting lost and, and, deciding to go down a road that you wouldn't otherwise go yes. down. You know? Yes. Getting, getting, allowing yourself to get, get lost and just following something that you, you have no idea where that road leads to. And, and it, it, it could be something great or not. Mm-hmm. What's um, that process like? I mean, when you come into a, if you're coming into a town or you're going into a new state, I mean, what's the, what, what kind of things do you look for along the road? You know? Uh, I'm trying to go there right now in my mind yeah. of what happens. And, and for instance, I just got back a week ago from working in Utah. I haven't been to that part of the country in a long time. I'd been working in Texas for the past five or six years. And I had been following the U.S.-Mexico Mexico border, making work about that landscape early on. And then that um, moved into oil and gas, that, that project. And then I was working in Houston, Galveston. And so I felt very comfortable in Texas. Like I know that landscape, that's where all this early work started. I've worked a lot in Texas. So I feel like I know it and I was getting too comfortable there. So Last year, I went to, um, I received a fellowship to go to Brigham Young University and curate a show from their archive. I was reading William Henry Jackson's journals of being during U.S. Geological Survey Mm -hmm. expeditions, his daily routine, and he's talking about, I mean, it was fascinating. What was his routine? Well... I, I just remember when, because I was in particular looking at Echo Canyon right. and he was talking about how unimpressed he was with Echo Canyon <laughs> and like, oh my God, he, he didn't like Echo Canyon, but just like having his steak and potato and how their horses were stolen that night and how people from the expedition were going into Salt Lake City to, they wanted to get a glimpse of the Mormons. I mean, oh, so, right. <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of monotonous uh-huh. and, and not, not that interesting. He just wanted to stay at camp and draw and make mm-hmm. sketches. So I, I was intrigued by what his life was on the road, traveling across the country and one horse, horseback. And, lugging all this equipment Mm -hmm. and, um, traveling with a team of people and having this mission to make, um, photographs of, um, the the westward expansion. Those, a lot of those early 
photographers who did these, who did their work in the West. I mean, it just blows my mind. I, I saw, uh, I think either last year or two years ago, I, sh- I saw a show of, um, Carlton Watkins photographs oh, at the Met. Did you see yeah. that show? Yes. Amazing. I mean, I mean, beyond crazy, beautiful. Yes. The photographs themselves, Meticulous. they're in Yellowstone, right? Uh, well, there, there are every, you know, there, he did a lot of California, Yosemite, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's Yosemite, Yellowstone. the ones I'm thinking of. Yeah. I yeah. Think so. I think they're Yosemite. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, I mean, the photographs themselves are amazing and the, and the detail in them is just jaw dropping, but even the, the actual, uh, just the reality of what he had to do in order to make those like lugging tons of equipment, like glass plate negatives yeah. and doing everything in a, in a tent in a, in dark and developing immediately. It's and mammoth plates. And yeah. I mean, just, it's so it's wild beyond anything you can imagine. But then I think a lot about the time and how, um, the time involved, but there was time and that was like their purpose. That was their yeah. job. But then I think about the distractions that keep drawing. Like when I went to, in 2003, I drove to Alaska mm-hmm. and I remember driving across Canada and there, there was no, I think back then I had some little cell phone that barely worked anywhere mm-hmm. and it didn't work at all um, on that trip. And once you got up to Alaska, everyone had a satellite phone and there were no, compu- like, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer. And if I needed to call back East to just say, I'm okay. Or tell my family, everything was fine. I'm, I, I found a pay phone to call mm-hmm. and just, I was reminiscing about that time because I was so focused and there, yeah. like in the moment in the everyday, just thriving on it. And how this past trip, the phone between the phone and the computer and like everyone wanting something now, like I need a, like I need a JPEG and I need it now. Mm -hmm. I feel that, um, the work suffered a little bit on this trip because I had these distractions. So yeah, it's (laughs) going back to the, 1800s uh, <laughs> the U.S. Geological Survey. But I know what you're saying is that they these these people um, they went out there with this mission, and you know who knows when they were coming back. You know, it, was, yeah. it really was this this expedition. And, yes. Um, and there is something transcendental about that, and beautiful about yes. confronting yourself in that way. I think, and you can see that in the pictures. Like you can see how uh, how exposed they are. You know, yes, how solitary. Um, I'm glad we talked about Alaska though. Like, I'm glad you, you went to there. Cause I was, I was, um, one of my favorite photographs of yours is the one of the pipeline in between those two kind of oh, that gorge in Alaska. What's the name of it, that? It's the Brooks range. Yeah. Um, the mountain range in the background. And I, I remember that taking that photograph. Mm-hmm. I remember that journey of traveling, um, the hall road mm-hmm. up to Prudhoe Bay and hearing how oh, you, you can't, you know, you can't, you shouldn't do it alone. You need an extra. Road. Yeah. I mean, this was 2003. So people were telling me you need an extra tank of gas. Um, you, you if you break down, there's no town, there's mm-hmm. no one to help you. Yeah. We're and talking like Alaska yeah. to 
100 percent Alaska. Yes. Very very remote. Yeah, very the remote. The Wild West, the last Wild West the, in the yeah, United the States. last frontier, yeah. the last American frontier, and and just there's not a town every hundred miles or mm-hmm. every fifty miles or. There's not a convenience store, a strip mall, or anything like that. There's just nothingness. And I, yeah, I was mixed. I'm like, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? I don't even know how to change a tire. Mm -hmm. And um, they're telling me I need two spare tires and an extra tank of gas. And what compelled you to go? What were you, uh, what were you looking for there? I I think it was industry, the oil, and back then when it, my work was, I was thinking about oil, mm-hmm. oil industry. I wanted to see that. And I thought that it would be a different kind of landscape and totally vastly different from what I, the landscapes that I've been working mm-hmm. in, which is Texas and flatness. And um, so when I drove, when I drove the hall road and I saw that that photo or what I, I knew would be a photo I'd set up, set up the camera. Um, it was about to shoot mm-hmm. and it was so sublime. I just, I walked away from the camera and I said, I, I cannot photograph this. Like this has to be experienced. Like mm-hmm. this, you can't, where do you put a frame around yeah. here? And I, I remember pacing around and and then it was set up, so I just shot one sheet of film, which is so crazy. Yeah, one exposure. That's one crazy. One exposure. Yeah, I know. And usually I do you two. Come all this way. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's like driven for weeks to get here. Uh-huh. And and um oh. uh, what the hell? I'll just shoot one sheet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is insanity. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's one of my favorite that that makes me love that picture even more. Uh-huh. I just <laughs> That's wild. So, um, yeah, I got that shot. And then when I, when I saw it on the contact sheet, when I, after I came back, I was like, Oh my, I I got something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That one's amazing. I, there were two things that, that struck me about those, those pictures in Alaska. Uh, the first, I think I, I heard you say this somewhere when I was, when I was kind of reading about the, about that body work, it's the, the vulnerability of that pipeline. Yes. How once you're out there, I mean, it's just, it's just there. You can walk up to it. You know, yes. you can, you can put a hand on it. It's, it's so, I mean, who knows if it's still the case now. Um, it, I think it is because it's hundreds of miles of pipeline yeah. down to Valdez. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just there. And it's crazy. Cause it does, it's, it's like the light, it's like a lifeline for the United States, you know, where so much of our, of our society is dependent on these sorts of things yes. and they, and they really, they're so vulnerable, you know, they're just exposed and, um, it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful, but kind of like uh, scary at the same time. Yeah. Especially, especially now after September 11th and yeah. all of the security and like yeah. taking off your shoes and everything. And I think about how this entire country is, is just, underneath us all i mean just think mm-hmm. about where we are right now in manhattan it's like all pipelines and what's underneath us all and how yeah. vulnerable it all is and um i know we have like a hundred year old steam system yeah, that like exactly. keeps it, in New York. it makes no sense it's a horrible idea uh yeah it's it's wild but but that pipeline i had read about this this guy that was angry at the government and shot the pipeline and 
you know, I don't know, I can't remember the exact number of like a hundred thousand gallons of oil. A lot of oil. A lot of oil spilled by the time they stopped it. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, it is, it is really vulnerable and it's, I imagine that it, it still is. There's something I want to ask about. It was, and this, this, the other thing I, I, that occurs to me in Alaska, um, in your work, there's this, there's this kind of absence of, you know, of people, you know, I mean, you, there are these, there, the photographs are, are minimal and they, they're usually these, these landscapes that are cut in some way. And I guess I was curious, um, people must be a huge part of these trips for you, you know, in, in exploring these places. I mean, what are, what are your, what are your interactions with people on the road? Like, I mean, where's um, the human element there? Yeah, I have, that's all behind the scenes, Yeah, but I'm very reliant on that community of people wherever I am mm-hmm. and having some sort of life outside of like those clean, sterile images. Um, I wouldn't call them sterile, but yeah, yeah but, some, but I know well, what you're saying. Yeah. Some of them, some of them are, but, but, um, Behind that, behind this, is this chaotic, beautiful world of meeting people on the road and and trying to have some sort of understanding of the country, which I think is what I'm actually doing is trying to understand who we are and through our relationship to landscape and what we do to it. Mm -hmm. But I might, you know, I'm meeting people that have different politics than I do and different reasons for having different politics, you know, Mm -hmm. politics. And it it makes it all so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that I come back East and have more of an understanding of the country and why we are where we're at now. You know, I just, I, I, I remember when, when the, you know, after election night, or in the weeks that followed. And I was just, you know, looking at things I came across, you know, I, I was looking at the border project again that you did. And I just, you know, I, I felt like it had this, uh, it, it felt like to me, like a premonition. You yeah. Know what I mean, it had yes. that kind of spirit to it that, yes. uh, you know, that, that maybe you would have been less surprised than some of the other people I've known, given what you've been exposed to. I mean, um, cause a lot of these questions must've, must've, you must have met a lot of people when you're doing that project that were having these debates years before. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually surprised at some of the conversations that I had, Mm -hmm. um, with so many people, everyone from a border patrol agent who was Mexican American, Mm -hmm. whose family crossed illegally with him. And now he's a border patrol agent stopping the very people that were his parents, yeah, you know, and yeah, I mean, every, everyone has an opinion and it's not always what you expect. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting getting these different perspectives about a particular subject matter or about the country or about why people feel the way they do. And it's, it's not always what you predict. Yeah. That's one of the things, I mean, we should say that you, you know, you have some experience with Marfa as well, you know, like yes. I do. And, um, it's one of the things I actually love about being there is that it, it is one of these, uh, locations that has kind of a, like a bizarre clash in, yes. in ideas and, and, uh, and cultures and politics, uh, 
in that it it's totally this border town in a lot of sense. Like it, I mean, it's not you know Marfa's not a border town, but but it's, but it's right there. Yeah, and, it, and those um, those issues are really you know prevalent in people's lives. Um, but obviously, there's this whole other you know art side of the town that is super you know uh, super left you know leftist. Yes. Uh, so I've, I kind of, I've always liked being there and have, and being exposed to those debates in a different way than you would ever in a place like New York. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think that's what I found so beautiful about Marfa at one time, um, when I first arrived there in 2002 and what were you doing? I, I was doing a residency at the Lannan Foundation, oh, yeah. which was at the time, I, I think I was the last visual artist to sounds um, all writers, right? Now it's all writers. And mm. There were, there's a ranching, a big ranching community, and then there's a big Mexican community, and then you have the artists mm -hmm. and, um, and how those communities came together was interesting to me because in, in other communities, there's a lot of tension between locals and outsiders. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's changed at all in Marfa because I haven't been there for a few years, but I feel like everywhere I go, you know, it's funny out west, like I'm if I'm in Utah or Arizona, they're everyone's complaining about the Californians are coming in and ruining everything. <laughs> and and when I'm in New Mexico, it's like the Texans are coming in and ruining everything. And so I wasn't sensing that in in Marfa when I was there. I felt like I think there's an openness there. Yeah, there's you know? an openness and I remember someone telling me, oh, Marfa's the three A's. And I'm like, the artists, attorneys, and architects. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes sense. But, I, I always love this one thing. Uh, I think someone was in town doing a uh, doing some little, you know, this kind of little documentary on, on Marfa. And this was maybe six or seven years ago. So it was definitely on the map. And it was, a, you know, you know, people like to visit, but it still wasn't as popular as it is now. And they interviewed one of the, one of the locals and they asked him, is this guy, you know, very much Texas rancher, you know, denim on denim, belt buckle, you know, cowboy hat. And they asked him, they were like, what do you think about all these, you know, art people from New York coming into, coming into town? He says, well, it's kind of like bird watching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. I was that's like, brilliant. Yeah, that's, that I, is I so that that's good. The, uh, that's I the attitude there, you know? <laughs> It's open. This, it's there's it's, an openness, and it's yeah. definitely a divide. I mean, you know, there's yeah. it's not it's not smooth sailing all the time. Yeah. But, um, but I think there is like a, uh, I think people are willing to have conversations there, which is which is really nice. I wanted to ask about like just uh, what are your what are your like your road tips? I mean, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> like I mean, you've been doing this. How how many trips have you gone? Um, I've done seven. Well, seventeen years of consistent like One yearly year. trips yeah so sometimes sometimes i'm on the road for a cup like this trip I, I left in september and i just got back so this is a kind of a short trip but i try to i try to go out for minimum like three three months mm -hmm. and the longest the border trip i mean that was years of, yeah i mean my going back and forth for years but i think the longest amount of time that I, I, I was out there was maybe four or five months mm -hmm. like just staying out there, which isn't, I, well, it's probably hard to stay out much longer than that uh, because of the, of the film and, and 
You know I, I, mean? I said to express the film back east. Oh, as you as you shoot it. At, well, after after I shoot so many sheets, I want it out. Right. I want it like getting processed yeah. and out of the car and sitting in that hot yeah, car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I'm in the south, like it's 100 degrees. I've I've gotten into a routine of. Um, you know, switching mindsets from New York to being on the road, like the truck stops I like to stop at. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you drive it now? I mean, do you, are you, you camp now, right? Yeah. I, I try to camp as much as possible because, mm-hmm. um, like back when we were talking about to, my trip in 2000, there were motels that you could get for $25, yeah. you know, now, I mean, the $40 motel is pretty down and out mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I've dealt with bed bugs and all kinds of things. So I'd rather just be in my tent, in my bedding, and not having to unload the car of all my equipment. It's just so much easier and it's so much more pleasant. Like, yeah, being, I was going to say, being I think out in the landscape. And, yeah. um, and I, I also get into a better routine where. If I'm camping, like I'll wake up and I'll make my percolated coffee that I love, yeah. my camp coffee. And, I love and those then, percolators. Yeah, yeah, I love percolated coffee. No one likes percolated coffee. But, um, and then I, you know, I'm more focused. I write in my journal, try to write my impressions of what I'm seeing or the conversations that I'm having with people. Mm-hmm. And then I work more when I'm, you know, you're up at dawn. You're out, like looking, doing things, seeing things. When do you shoot most of the pictures? Are they early in the morning or they before sunset? Um, I was curious about that. No, I I can't say that it's it's that specific. It really has everything to do with light. Mm-hmm. So if the light is good, then I shoot. If it's if it's not, then you know you wait. Mm-hmm. It's more scouting. My days spent scouting, looking. And finding that vantage point. And finding that vantage yeah. point. And then the shooting is so minimal. It's just barely. And I don't shoot very much. You know, when mm-hmm. you're shooting large format, it's not like, well, with now with digital cameras, you might come back with thousands of photos. But I, on this trip, I think you saw my contact sheets. That yeah, it's not, not many. Not very much for mm-hmm. several months on the road. So yeah. you don't want to throw away film. <laughs> Well, it's so expensive now, right? Yeah, it's so expensive. Can I flip through your book? Yeah. These are the 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 diary the diary photos. So the these are my life on the road. Oh yeah. And so when I'm shooting the large format, um, on the side I shoot with the Mamiya uh six seven. Oh yeah. And and now somebody has given me a um, Is that the rangefinder one? Or? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so great. now now I have like uh on this last trip I had a 35 millimeter contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the Mimia 6.7 and then I had um, a Canon 5D that someone had given me. So I was shooting all with all of these cameras on the side and then doing the 5 by 7 work. And I was, yeah, I have to eliminate, I, have to, I think I have to eliminate <laughs> a few work. cameras. It was just like too much. Well, it can be hard if you're, you know, if you're trying to shift gears too often, you know? Yeah, or, yeah. It's like... You know, I was trying to document my daily routine mm-hmm. of like the, you know, the coffee, the percolator and the campsites. And, and then 
photographing like the towns that I'm in and the things that I'm experiencing on a daily basis, like the truck stops and sometimes the people that I meet um, and have a conversation with. So this is an important part of what I do because it it's it's the daily and it also reminds me of where I was and what that routine was. Yeah. Um, and then this second book booklet in the back is my ephemera. So these are the things that I collect on the road, um, the tools of the trade. So it's, it's like my journals that I write in my mineral and rock collection. So you're interested in geology. Oh uh, yeah. Complete. I wish mm-hmm. really, I just want to be a geologist. Is what I, I think mean. geology is fascinating. I, uh, do you, do you know Trevor Paglin's work? Yes. He, you know, he studied geology. Oh, did, did, did he, was it geology or geography? Oh, geography. maybe it's geography. I oh, think. Well, it's geography, yes. <laughs> I can't remember. started with a G. I don't it's, know. It's like, he, <laughs> one of those G things. But yes. So, I think it might have been, um, he might have done at least some geolo- oh, geology. Oh, I'm sure. It makes sense. I just, I remember, uh, I, I, I thought of the two of you, you know, to, in the same light, uh, I went to a little, a little talk of his, um, years ago. And he just, he just talked about rocks the whole time. And I, just, <laughs> I thought it was great. It was, it was, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, and so, so part of me, I, I don't have that education, but mm-hmm. I wish I did. I wish I could just go out and like, look at a rock formation and say, Oh, oh that's, uh, you know, that's so whatever, like, you know, I want to be able to name exactly what it is or pick up a rock and yeah it just (laughs) what else is in this little book and these these little types of maps and Mm -hmm. roadside geology things are really important because they kind of help guide me through that landscape yeah they give you a place you know yeah follow yeah and and to look at and to understand what i'm looking at historically and i think one of the arresting things in your work sometimes is I'm almost at a loss to understand where like your body is in space, you know, uh, for some of these vantage points. Cause they seem so, you know, they seem so kind of otherworldly. Uh, I think like, how did she, how is she standing there? How is this her view? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, sometimes when I, I'll, I'll look for days trying to find that point of view, trying to get to that place where I have that, vantage point. And when I find it, it's just, it's, it's exhilarating really, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, you've accomplished this big challenge of, I mean, that's the challenge of trying to find, find the subject and then to find the vantage point and then to get the light. And when those things all come together, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, um, there's no other feeling. Yeah. Can you tell me about this photograph, uh, Untitled Pipes from Monahans, Texas? Oh, yeah. Do you know where that is? No, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Because it's it's near Midland. It's near Midland, and actually, that photograph. Um, I was I was working oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. It was after the border project, and I had segued into oil and gas right. and which just north of the border, there's um, the Eagleford Shale pocket of oil. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's tons of fracking and, and drilling happening just north of the border. And 
um, like around Catula and, yeah. and then I, I wanted to go up to mid Midland and Odessa because that's another big oil area. Mm-hmm. And I was going to circulate through all of these kind of oil towns and, um, someone from Marfa, my friend Katie Price called me and she said, there is a field of pipes that is your it's you. Yeah. And, and I went, I drove, I'm like, went searching. I think mm-hmm. I drove up from Catula and I'm like, where's that field of pipes? And wow. these are great gas transport pipes. So it, and these pipes were everywhere. Like I'd see them on trains. I think you just passed a photo of them yeah. stacked up on a train. They're everywhere being mm-hmm. laid. Um, and so I drove there and I found, I found it and it was like the end of the day. I barely had any light Mm -hmm. and I got it. And, um, it's a beautiful picture. There it is. That. Because it's nice when you have people doing recon for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I get that a lot actually. There's another one I wanted to ask about, uh, there's a photograph of someone crossing the, the Rio Grande in Big Bend National Park. Yes. Well, what, how, how did that come to be? So, have you been to that spot in in Big Bend? It's by um, Bokias. Well, the thing is, that I I when I saw that photograph, uh, I thought that I had been to that spot. I know that there's one when you when you visit Big Bend, um, there's one kind of vista, and you can be sort of high up, and you look down over the over a part of the Rio Grande that's quite shallow, so yes. you can swim across. And yes, there are all these stories of people, you know, swimming to Mexico and coming back. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes like silly tourists who want to do it for the right, you know, for right. The story. So I swam to Mexico. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I I thought that's where it was. Is that where it is? It it is. Um, so there there are two spots. There's like Santa Elena Canyon, and then there's Boquillas de, del Carmen, and and but yes, there's, there is an overlook where you can see the town of Boquillas. There used to be a man that would take you across on a canoe and you, uh-huh. so you could get in his um, canoe and you could go across and go to Boquillas and have like beer and tacos mm-hmm. and eat everything and see the town and then come back. Mm-hmm. And after September 11th, this, this was closed off. Yeah. So you couldn't do that anymore. And the man that owned the canoe just sang like you could hear him singing and it, it would echo. It was beautiful. In the canyons, yeah. Yes. And yeah. this man I had met, um, I saw he would cross. There was a lot, there were a lot of people crossing mm-hmm. and coming over and just selling things and then going back across. And I shot that and then I wanted to shoot him again. Mm-hmm. And so I waited all day for him to get another shot of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, like he never came. So I, I just have that one shot. Oh, so this was the one but the, that you wanted to redo? Yes. What was, uh, what was the idea for the, for the next I, shot? I, the next shot, actually, I was video, I was going to videotape him and I think. Oh, like a, like a, like a moving. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yes. Cause I had done, I had done a video of him crossing mm. and then it got lost. It got erased. Oh, 
How, so, how that yeah, it's, yeah, not Sarah, Sarah wanted me to ask if you, if you'd ever, um, if you, if you'd ever lost a photograph that you just, that still gets you or, you know, that video that is might something, be the one. that's the one. Yeah. Like that, that image of Santa Elena Canyon. Yeah. I shot it at a particular time of year. Like I had shot it and my bellows on my camera were sagging. And so there's like a black line at the bottom. So mm-hmm. I w- went back and reshot it. Oh yeah. And that's the new shot. So often in, in that book, there are actually a few photographs that I reshot mm-hmm. and went like came back to New York, yeah. saw you knew you knew it, there was something there, and you didn't quite. I get didn't it. get it, yeah. and then had to drive back and <laughs> and redo it. And that one was so, this. It's always better the second time. I mean, I can't think of a time that I took a second shot and it wasn't better. It's mm-hmm. always better the yeah. second time because you're seeing it. You're you're getting um, space away from it, and and then you go back and you see it differently. Maybe you're also more comfortable too, you know, that you, you, you feel like you've been here before. Oh, I tried that. That didn't work. I tried that. That didn't work. You know, you feel reassured in your, in your, um, in your methods. And, you know, like that, that photo that you're on right now, which Uh, is steam vents in Yellowstone National Park. Yeah, the steam vents. So, so in 2007, I was driving across the country, making work about I-80 based Uh on John McPhee's book, Annals of the Former World. I was using that as like my inspiration to look at the geology around I-80. And -hmm. he tells all these stories. It's such a great book. It's like this big, thick book. And uh, I think he wrote it over the course of 20 years. And he talks about this geologist named David Love, who he traveled with and Mm -hmm. was this big Wyoming geologist. And so I, um, went on that trip, I went looking for David Love. I'm like, I'm going to find David Love and talk to David Love about geology. Well, it turned out David Love had died Mm -hmm. and, um, years ago in university of Wyoming and Laramie has a building named after him and, uh, or a geology wing named after him. But I found his son in Rock Springs, which is a few towns over. And mm-hmm. so I called his or emailed his son and he's like, a lot of people have done that project. And I'm like, I know, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, my shot. Yeah. yeah, it's like, mine's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I met the son and he taught a geology class, um, in Rock Springs. And he said, why don't you, um, I'm taking my geology class in this fall to, Yellowstone, why don't you come on that trip? So I I came back and went on that trip and just was amazed by Yellowstone and all of the history behind it, but also the fact that it's a super volcano and every, you know, 360 million years, like it erupts and um, we're at that mark right now. And so we're due, we're due for we're it. We're due. Yeah. Was this before, after this is 2008, was this before, after you did work in, I know you went to Hawaii as well. That was, um, that was after, that was after, so 2005 I was in Hawaii. So you had some familiarity with the volcanoes. Yeah. And- yeah. I was interested in volcanoes mm-hmm. and, and how that affects how we live around them. Yeah. And just the 
is it, it's 350,000 years every, I can't remember the number right now of how often Yellowstone erupts, mm-hmm. but just that idea of the last time Yellowstone erupted, there was no one actually living around it. So the next time we experience it, it yeah. will change people's lives. And I was meeting people that had their exit strategy strategy worked out. They knew like when it when it happens. They're they, like they when have it happens, I'm like out of here, and this is where I'm going, and it's like you'll wow. never make it. So, so um, it's like doomsday theorists. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and just like what will happen to the Earth when it does when it does mm-hmm. erupt, and how it will change the climate of the Earth, and so all of that's very interesting to me, and that will stimulate my interest about a place well it's 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 a volcano is just such a crazy marker of time yeah i mean it's just such a weird kind of way to measure you know the the course of you know human events yes or or events greater than human events that's right that are uncontrollable is there another picture you have in mind that you want to that you want to finish up on i i know we can't go through i just uh this is the one this is coal mine is where jason shot that you know, with Jason Schmidt, we went back to this mine. That's where we... I, I love that photograph that Jason made of you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... Um, you know, one of, my, one of my kind of quandaries in doing, in, in talking with artists and, and, and photographing artists is that odds are Jason's also shot them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and odds are Jason's photograph is, is, pretty, is pretty great. I think you did a so, really interesting one today. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. But, yeah, I... I I am often like wrestling with that, with that shadow. Cause I just, I mean, I think those, his books, artists and artists too. I mean, it's, it's, there's some of my favorite photography books. I mean, of all time, I really think they're just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, he's, he's, he's really an incredible He really photographer. is. So is there anyone you want well, to no, just I mean, I, I stopped on this just, I mean, this is like, right. Well, that's one of the first ones, right? This is, this is in, um, 2001. Mm-hmm. So this is right after September 11th. This was right. the first photograph that I took after September 11th. And I think about... Were you in New York when that happened? I was upstate. Mm-hmm. I was upstate when it happened. But I think about this picture that's before it, which is of the blue trucks in Laredo. I think I was in Laredo Yeah. when I took this. So I think about this, and then I think about that. And they're, they're so similar, these two photographs, but... The entire world changed after this. And I think about the fact that I was in Texas photographing here and I was in these distribution centers and these, these huge like, like rail yards and container yards and truck yards. And there were security guards and gates and everything. And I walked in with my camera and I'm like, Hey, can I come in and take a photograph? And they let me through. No problem. Okay. Okay. You have... 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. like to come in and get your picture and go. This one, I walked in to this yard and within minutes I was surrounded by people. Yeah. There was so much security and this is how we live now. I mean, these two photographs for me are really, really about how the world changes. Vicki, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, William. Thank you for all the good questions. (laughs) This show is produced by Sarah Levine, and our music is by Jack and Eliza. Thank you to Victoria Salmonaris, Yancey Richardson, Radius Books, Hostler Burroughs, and T Magazine 
and a very special thank you to Gerard at My Own Color Lab for opening his space to us. Once again, you can see my portrait of Victoria on Instagram at William Jess Laird. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.